The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. We are going to be meditating in Matthew chapter 9 and for a period of time, Luke chapter 11. And uh, we are addressing the subject of peering into darkness. Uh, The next two examples in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, has to do with uh, darkness and uh, one physical, the other spiritual. And in Matthew chapter 9, uh, at around verse 27, we have the account of two blind men that were healed of their physical blindness But their experience was that they were peering into physical darkness. And uh, the scripture said that as Jesus passed on, two blind men followed him crying, saying, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now it's rather interesting that they followed him. That's what the scripture says. They followed him, but they were physically blind. I will venture to say that the eyes of their hearts were wide open and seeing quite clearly. But their physical eyes were uh, obviously hampered by disease or obstruction of some sort, we are not told. But their heart eyes were healthy and free of obstruction. And so they were able to see through their physical darkness, so much so that they can follow the Lord Jesus in the midst of their physical blindness. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute or two. They were physically blind, but the Spirit of God tells us they followed him. So they used whatever faculties they had, and I'm going to venture to say that their hearts were in the perfect place to see the Lord Jesus Christ, to see who he is. And they called him the son of David, the promised one. Okay, they saw through the darkness. And this distinction ought to be noted in our thinking. So if you are listening to my voice and saying to yourself, well, I don't see. I said in the previous podcast, that what's necessary is to ask the one who heals the blind to give sight to your heart's eyes. And so the first key point is that they didn't have to strive to see with the eyes of their hearts. Their heart was able to penetrate through their physical limitations But they certainly understood by all that they had heard about the Lord Jesus Christ that he himself 
was able to heal them. And so we are told that they cried out. Uh, in the original languages, they, they made that cawing sound that a raven would make. They entreated God. They cried out to God. Why? Because they saw that the source of their physical healing was passing by. And so I would ask you to make some personal examination and ask yourself if you are seeing what you need to see concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and his heart towards you. When you are in the presence of light, what is the most needful commodity? What is, what is most needful when you are in the presence of God, in the, in the presence of the light of his glory? What's, what's most needful? Well, these men uh, obviously identified what was most needful. Because we are told when he was come to the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus says to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe I can heal you? And so the key faculty of the heart eyes is to see through the lens of faith what Jesus is able to do in the heart and in the life. Do you believe this? I'm asking you, my friend. What is it that you are truly believing God to accomplish in your life? And the corresponding question is, do you believe that God is able to do this? Now, I want to provide some clarity. We often conclude cognitively that God has the ability, he can do thus and thus in our lives. But more often than not, we are not believing him with expectation that he is going to actually do it in our lives. But these men, through the faculty of the heart eyes, they had the faith to believe that the Lord Jesus would grant to the physical eyes what already existed in the spiritual eyes. And so that brings us to one conclusive fact. When God is about to do a work in our lives, when there's going to be a transfer of grace to faith, when God responds to us, it is an act of his grace, a willing condescension of who he is to manifest to us in some small measure his glory. When we receive an answer to prayer, a request that we are waiting on God for, this is a clear manifestation of the glory of God. He is condescending to bend his ear to our request. In fact, we are told in Psalm 113, verse 8, concerning Jehovah, that he humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He humbles himself. He condescends. <laughs> okay? He turns his face. He, as it were, he sits. <laughs> 
He comes down to where we are at our level just to behold the heavens and the earth. This is how great God is. This is the God to whom we are coming and petitioning. And so these men, they wanted to receive their sight. And what they were going to experience was a transfer of the grace of God to meet with their faith and cause them to receive their sight. They were peering into darkness, physical darkness, but they saw the light of the Son of God through the heart eyes. And so now, according to Psalm 113, verse 8, God abases himself. He sinks himself. He sits himself. And he's demonstrating a willingness to respond. We are told in Matthew chapter 6, and I think verse 6, the Lord Jesus, as he is uh, teaching his disciples in what is traditionally believed to be the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it, it, in my view, it is, it is the teaching of what a heavenly life looks like when the Spirit of God indwells a man and that life is lived out on the earth. It is an extraordinary life. It is not an impossible life, but it certainly is extraordinary. And so we are told in Matthew 6, 6, by the teaching of the Lord Jesus, he says, when you pray, enter into your closet and shut the door. And your father who sees in secret, who turns his gaze to look, uh, the Greek word is blepo, who turns his gaze to look at this. What is the this he's looking at? A human being bending the knee, heart and mind in his presence. And God draws near to experience this. This is the, the essential meaning of the Greek term that our Heavenly Father beholds the praying man or woman. He beholds him. He turns his gaze to look at this to see it, feel it, experience it. The hour of prayer, the time of meeting with God is the most sacred, not only in heaven, but certainly on earth. And I want to say this to you before we look at peering into darkness spiritually. And this is the third important key. The dynamic of God answering prayer is an experience that God enjoys. In all of creation, there is, there is no experience like this. This is, this is non-existent throughout nature. The animals are not doing this. But the devotees, the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, are able to go into the presence of God in the name of the Lord Jesus and meet with the living God himself. And so it is a willing experience of two free willing entities to engage in an open, unhindered relating where one humbles to beseech and the other, the greater, humbles to hear and respond. My friend, I want to reiterate this. To those of you who have heart Eyes to see the glory of God, the grandeur of God meeting with a human being, a disciple. 
the hour of prayer, the time when we fellowship with God, the drawing near, the getting still beside still waters. That moment is a willing experience of two free willing entities to engage in an open, unhindered relating where the one humbles themselves to beseech the greater and the greater humbles himself to hear and to respond. And so as we move further on in uh, this uh, chapter 9, we come now not to two blind men, but to blind religious leaders. These men are also peering into darkness. They're peering into spiritual darkness, but the sad reality is that they themselves are blind in their hearts while they have physical seeing eyes. And so we are told, for example, that as these were going out, that is, the two blind men, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed by a demon. And the demon, having been cast out, the dumb spake, and the crowds were astonished, saying, It has never been seen thus in Israel. But the Pharisees said he casts out demons through the prince of demons. So people brought one who was in an impossible circumstance. He was possessed of demons. And it needed the intercession of others to bring him, that person, to Jesus. We are not told if it's male or female, but we can assume it's a him nonetheless. But this person was dumb. They were blunted. They couldn't, they were speechless. They, they were dull in their ability to speak. And they were demon-possessed. The powers of darkness gained ascendancy within the human entity. And this is a phenomenon that is unique in the annals of Scripture. And especially we see uh, the Gospels are replete with uh, uh, references to those who were demonically possessed. And so we have another free-willing entity of greater power, but of the powers of darkness, gaining ascendancy within the domain of a human being. And so that human being was rendered helpless. Helpless. So we have three entities here, both human, angelic, although fallen, and God. And so I, I just want to dwell on this matter of casting out demons for just a little. But it's noteworthy that in this healing, it necessitated a tripartite interaction, a sort of pyramidal interaction between a human being, helpless though they be, an angelic being, demonic in nature, and the Son of God, God himself. Two are in darkness, <laughs> the human being, and the angelic. In fact, I'll say three are in darkness because we have the blind leaders beholding this person whom they are powerless to uh, effect a healing, a release, a deliverance. 
we have the person who's demonically possessed. They're in darkness because they are enveloped and held captive by the powers of darkness. We have the fallen angelic uh, beings, demons, if you will. And then we have God. But all entities are free willing. It's not like stilling the storm or casting out uh, or healing of leprosy. Uh, or even healing of blindness, a physical uh, malady. This is far different. We're dealing with the wills, the free willing capacity of these beings to interact and to choose. And what we are learning is our Lord Jesus is demonstrating that his authority, his exousia, his power extends beyond just a physical healing. He has the ability, the power to command in three realms, in the realm of light where God dwells, in the realm of darkness where demons dwell, and in the cosmos where man dwells. And so when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we bring our needs before him, when we call upon him in prayer, we come knowing that there are no limitations with him, with his power, with his authority. And he is able to hear and answer our prayers irrespective of whether we are engaged in asking God to release a loved one from what appears to be sometimes uh, 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 their subjugation by substance abuse. And sometimes we say to ourselves, oh my goodness, you know, they need to go to therapy. And and don't misunderstand me. That has its place. But I have known a handful of those who were uh, uh, addicted to substances, albeit uh, alcohol or uh, some form of drug, albeit opiates or otherwise. And they felt powerless to release themselves. And it necessitated the intervention, the prayerful intervention, interceding on their behalf before God to break those shackles. One happens to be a very close relative that I have lived to see that they were completely set free from dependencies. And this setting free was by the power of the Spirit of God working in their lives and their belief, their trust in the great and precious promises, which Peter says in 2 Peter 1, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, unto us are given great and precious promises that by these promises you might be a partaker of God's divine nature. I want to say to you before we go on with uh, this particular topic that you and I have the supreme privilege of walking with God. This is, this is the watchword, the thrust, the, the whole purpose of Beside Still Waters to encourage believers far and wide to foster an intimate Dynamic relationship with God, a meeting with God in private, alone, face to face, as it were. Closed door behind you. 
presenting to God not only the worship that is due to him, but presenting to him the things, the needs that we have, relying on his promises, reminding him of his great and precious promises. And in time, through importunistic praying, see the very thing that we have shared with God in secret come to pass in public. And so now, as we come back to the incident at hand, the Lord Jesus was engaged in a casting out, an ekbalo, as it were, a depriving the powers of darkness of their power, of their dominion, banishing them, if you will, back to the netherworld. Or, if you will, the term means to force by overcoming an opposite force. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ said that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the onward, forward movement of the church. And so, my beloved friends, I want to say to you that as we come before God with respect to battling against the forces of darkness, we ought not, we need not be fearful or doubtful if God will work on our behalf. May I remind you, in times of old, under the old covenant, when armies that were greater than Israel came against them, they were routed. Some were caused to fight against themselves and very often defeated themselves. Others may have heard the rumblings of an army coming in the dead of the night and they ran and left all their goods, if you will, and, and their armor and their camels. But God was fighting on behalf of his people. And here we see in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that even the powers of darkness were powerless against the Son of God with a word, with a command by the Son of God. They were deprived of their power, of their hold over a human being. They were banished back to the netherworld. They were overcome by the power and force and authority of God and were routed and therefore ejected from the human entity. And I want to say this to you. <laughs> there is no power that can come against us. There is no weapon that can be formed and prosper against the people of God. As long as we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, relying on the promises of God, reminding our great and heavenly Father, the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he did in times past, need I remind you yet again that when Moses went into Egypt, he did not go with an army. He went with Aaron, but he had the rod of God. And with the rod of God, he routed the superpower of that day. At one point, the advisors to Pharaoh said to him, don't you see that Egypt is destroyed? They saw the power of God using one man. And so we know that the fall of man came by the fall of man came sin into the cosmos. And with sin entering the cosmos, the forces of darkness were now able to <laughs> take control, if you will, have dominion over men and women, 
their minds, their bodies. We think of the demoniac at Gadara, where none could restrain him. People were afraid to pass that way. Why? Because they feared the forces, the powers of darkness. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came, those very demons came and humbled themselves in his presence and asked him, have you come to destroy us before the time? And they begged him mercy to be cast into the swine. And that tells you clearly, my friends, there is no power on earth. There's no disease. There's no demonic force that can overcome the word of Jehovah of hosts, of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for example, if we were to go to um, Mark chapter 9 and around the, uh, I think it's uh, the 14th verse, we have an example, and, and we'll come back to the Pharisees in just a moment, but this thought came to me in, in Mark chapter 9. We have a man whose uh, son from childhood uh, was demon-possessed and cast this child into the waters and uh, to destroy him and into the fire, attempting to, to, to end his life. And we see, for example, in, in, in uh, around verse 18, that, that this, this person was at the mercy of the powers of darkness, at the mercy. We are, we are peering into dark. We are looking at darkness at work, spiritual darkness, not only of the heart, in this case, the Pharisees, but of the powers of darkness themselves to destroy people. The Lord Jesus said of, of, of Satan, for example, I think in John chapter 10, that the thief comes to do nothing else but to steal, kill, and destroy. The powers of darkness would destroy and kill men and have them bound for in a Christless eternity in a lake of fire, which is what was created for the devil and his angels. And so now we are told of this child that was demon-possessed. We don't know what the influences were, what opened the doors to be possessed. But this man came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love what, this is the critical juncture right here, because we see the Son of God at work in grace and power. And we see man at his best when he is believing God to deliver. There is no greater place for the human entity than to be humbled in the presence of God, beseeching him to do what only he alone can do, which is to help, to deliver, to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so this man, and, and I want you to pay attention to what he says to the Lord Jesus. But he says, if you can do anything, be moved with pity on us. This man cried out to God for pity. Help us, have pity. But my friends, I want to arrest your attention right here. Because the Lord Jesus Christ re responds in a way that many of us would consider to be insensitive. We would say, that's so insensitive. Here he is crying for pity and help. And Jesus says to him, the, if thou couldst, is, if thou couldst believe. So what Jesus is saying is, don't cry for pity. 
Don't ask me if you could do anything for me. Help me. What I'm going to say to you is if you can believe, and the Lord Jesus says it to him, all things are possible to him that believes. And so, my friend, here is the critical crossroads for this man and for you and me. We all have crises. We all have problems. We all have insurmountable circumstances that press us and and, and close in on us and makes us wonder, are we ever going to survive this situation, this circumstance, this crisis, this trial? It appears to be bigger than us. But the Lord Jesus, time and time again, arrests the attention of whomever and points them to the one thing that is needful in their life and needful in our lives. And that is to come with a heart in full assurance of faith that as we have cried out to God, we are convinced in our hearts by his promise, he will fight for us. We are told in Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I think it's Psalm 50 verse 15, if memory serves me correctly. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Another, uh, in Second Chronicles 16, when, when the seer, I've mentioned this verse several times in our podcast, when the seer spoke to King Asa, he says, the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of him whose heart is perfect towards him. Time and time again, we are given the promise in the scripture that God is interested in working in our lives in such a way that we see his glory. We see his ability to do the impossible. But our hearts, it is incumbent upon us that our hearts are turned to him in full confidence based on his promise that he will deliver. And so the Lord Jesus tells this man, it's not his, the, the, the key phrase is not if I can do anything. The key phrase should be, if you could believe, all things are possible to you who believe. And God bless this poor man. <laughs> he said, and, and we have to confess that many of us would have to, to respond in the same way. <laughs> he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. But as Paul said in, in Romans chapter 7, I see another law in my members that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And many times in, in the hour of prayer, we find that it is, in fact, a wrestling, a struggle against our fleshly natures, pulling us back, sowing, if you will, unbelief that is it possible that God would even answer me in the affirmative? I say to you, my dear brother and sister, yes, he will. Because we are told in scriptures that it is impossible for God to lie. Not only that, in Hebrews chapter 11, we are told, for example, concerning Enoch, that he had this testimony, that he pleased God. He knew, I am pleasing God. Why? Because he was walking by faith. He believed God. So I ask you, the devotee of the Lord Jesus, the disciple, why are we powerless? Why do we not see more answers to prayer? What is the hindrance? The disciples asked him, 
when they entered into the house, the latter part of the chapter at around verse 28, when they entered into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast him out? And listen to the words of the master himself. And he said to them, this kind can go out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. They were battling the forces of darkness. They were peering into the darkness. They were seeing the forces that were far greater than them, if you will, outnumbering them, and certainly more powerful than they are, take possession of a man, and they were helpless to deliver that man and couldn't understand why were we weak in the face of this challenge. And the Lord Jesus puts his finger on the critical point of the issue. There are only two and two only reasons, factors, prayerlessness and fasting added to that prayerlessness, if you will, or a failure to fast and pray. Two things. He told them. He's telling us that we lack power in the spiritual life for one reason only. We fail to pray. We fail to lend strength to our praying with fasting. And this is why the devotee is a vine without grapes, weak, and the forces of darkness seem to prevail. Here they are, the designated servants of our Lord Jesus Christ, the ones who were granted the privilege of co-leadership, if you will, but they lacked the exousia. Why? (laughs) Because spiritual power and influence is obtained in one way and one way only through the exercise of prayer and fasting. My friends, I want you to lay this to heart. Some of you may be listening to my voice and saying to to yourself, "I, I don't know if I could do that. I ask you, as you and I examine our lives, have we seen where the flesh and or the powers of darkness have gained dominion. You know, typically when you read the Old Testament, especially uh, during the time of the judges and, and, and kings, what was prevalent is when the enemies of the people of God gained the ascendancy and oppressed the people of God. You find that in the judges repeatedly. The roller coaster experience of of deliverance and then they walked with God for 10, 20, 30, maybe 40 years and they had peace and then they sunk again into idolatrous worship and and strayed from the living God and God was uh, moved to allow their enemies to prevail against them and when the oppression was so intense they cried out to God (laughs) and he raised up a judge and we saw that during the time of the kings, when their enemies who were larger than them, in, as I mentioned, King Asa, uh, when the Libyans came against him, and I think the Ethiopians, and they had a million-man army, and they had chariots. <laughs> and King Asa went forth and he said, Jehovah, you are able to deliver with a lot or a little. It doesn't matter. But we are looking to you. We are looking to you. And so when we devote time in prayer and fasting, seeking the face of God for the unction and exousia to do battle with the forces of darkness, not with our words, but on our knees. We find 
that the forces of darkness are not able to gain the ascendancy. And so now, lastly, we come to the Pharisees. They were peering into darkness, seeing demonic possession. But they were also peering through eyes that were blind. The heart eyes were blind. And they attributed to the Lord Jesus, to his casting out, they attributed this ability to the powers of darkness. They were so blind, they couldn't even see their blindness. They couldn't see the finger of God. In fact, the Lord Jesus, I think in, in, in Mark's gospel, um, or Luke's it might be, where he, he chides them that he was casting out demons by the finger of God, by the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God. And when you and I come and praying for others to be released from perhaps detrimental habits, substance abuse, uh, and or maybe even some measure of demonic uh, influence. The Lord Jesus told them this kind, this kind, he was emphatic, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. But the Pharisees were in a bad state <laughs> because they were blind in their hearts. They were looking at the powers of darkness through eyes that could only see darkness. And they attributed Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, <laughs> to be the one that empowered the Lord Jesus Christ. How awful is this? That God does a work, a miraculous work, in setting a human being free. And they were so blind, they couldn't see the presence and power of God right in their midst. And so I want to say to you, my friend, as we come near to the closing of this podcast today, maybe you have been the recipient of, of stinging criticism. Maybe you sought to do a work for God, and it's been met with criticism. Uh, people misjudging your motives, misunderstanding the why and wherefore of what you do, not knowing that your desire is to serve the interests of the King of Kings to further the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so you are the recipient of criticism and they attribute your work to be motivated by self, by self-interest and not seeing the work of God in your life. Oh, my friend, if you are that recipient my encouragement to you, my exhortation to you is set aside time for prayer and fasting in the sweet presence of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take time to draw near beside still waters. Quiet your soul, your heart, your mind in the presence of God. Refresh your heart with the great and precious promises and lift your voice to God in that secret place and ask him to strengthen you, to pursue, to continue, to press on, to serve the king so that when your race is done, you would not appear before the judgment seat of our Lord Jesus Christ empty-handed, without fruit. <laughs> you know, we are powerless to make people see 
if their heart eyes are blind. We can't make them see. But I tell you what we can do, my dear friend. We can pray that God would open their eyes to see, open the eyes of their hearts to see the light and glory of the Son of God. My friend, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your challenge is today, but I want to say this to you. You and I, in the world we live, are peering into darkness. Let us go forth prayerfully and, if need be, with fasting, asking God to open the eyes of the hearts of men to help us to prevail over the forces of darkness in praying that men and women, boys and girls, may be released from their bondage, to pray to such an extent that we would see God answering in our time and space, that we would see the glory of God in answered prayer. Oh, my dear friend, When we draw near to God beside still waters, it is a watchword to tell ourselves to come into the presence of God, to wait and enjoy his holy presence, to remind him of his great and precious promises, to beseech him to hear and answer us. And as we are told in Psalm 50, Call upon me in the day of trouble. And the Lord says, I will deliver you. And I exhort you, my friend, to make the, co- make the commitment to glorify God in the day that he answers your request. May God bless us and make our lives a blessing to others as we bend our knees on their behalf, interceding for men and for the glory of God. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.